They're coming to get you, Barbara. Stop it! You're ignorant! They're coming for you, Barbara. Stop it! You're acting like a child! They're coming for you! Look! There comes one of them now! Welcome to Feed vs. the Living Dead, the podcast where your host, Feed the Terrible Aussie Jemine, explores the remakes, re-edits, reimaginings, homages, and unofficial follow-ups to George A. Romero's classic 1968 horror film, Night of the Living Dead. This is the latest disclosure in a report from National Civil Defense Headquarters in Washington. It has been established that persons who have recently died have been returning to life and committing acts of murder. A widespread investigation of reports from funeral homes, morgues, and hospitals has concluded that the unburied dead are coming back to life and seeking human victims. This podcast contains coarse language, mature discussions, and plot spoilers. Listener discretion is advised. G'day everyone, this is Benjamin, aka The Terrible Aussie, and welcome back to this bonus episode of Bean vs. The Living Dead, the podcast where I dissect every remake, re-edit, reimagining, homage, spoof, unofficial follow-up, and so much more to George A. Romero's classic 1968 horror film, Night of the Living Dead Across All Media. Now, before we get into this special bonus episode of the podcast, I, I just want to take a quick moment to thank everybody who listened to the previous bonus episode of the show with chad suva the writer and director behind the 2014 reimagining of night of the living dead i'm glad you all really enjoyed that episode and i look forward to giving you guys even more bonus episodes over the next few weeks in which i talk to even more filmmakers behind the many different indie versions of night of the living dead that I've covered on the show in the past. So now for this special bonus episode, I sat down and chatted to directors Jake C. Young and Kenny Scott Guppy, who were the directors behind the 2014 quasi-Night of the Living Dead sequel, A Night of the Undead. Now, I covered Night of the Undead on a previous episode of the show, which of course was episode 17. Since uh, my guests and I had a really good and interesting conversation on that film for that episode, I wanted to see if directors Jake C. Young and Kenny Scott Guppy would be interested in sitting down and talking to me uh, about the film for an interview. And luckily they did say yes. So we scheduled the time and sat down and talked about it. So without further ado, everyone, here is my interview with A Night of the Undead Filmmakers, Jake C. Young and Kenny Scott Guffey. Hey everybody, welcome to this very special interview. I am joined by the filmmakers behind the 2022 indie horror film, A Night of the Undead, Jake C. Young and Kenny Scott Guppy. Hello, guys, and welcome to Bead versus the Living Dead. Uh, sorry. <laughs> I mucked up my own title. Uh, Bead versus the Living Dead. Well, hey, you know, if, if you need to re-record it, I understand, because I used to, you know, do some podcasting myself, so I completely get it. But no, I am honored to be here. Hey, man, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having us. <laughs> well, I'm glad you guys are here, and I'm very excited to talk to you guys about your film, A Night of the Undead. But before we get to the film in question and my questions about it, I both have a very important question I have to ask you. And it's a question I always ask every guest who comes on this show for the first time. And that, of course, is, guys, do you remember the first time you saw the original 1968 version of Night of the Living Dead? Uh, Jake, you first. Uh, yeah, I do, actually. Um, I actually, so everybody might hate me for this, uh, but I actually did not watch the film in its entirety uh, up until I was uh, contacted about doing this film. Oh. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had, uh, I'd, I'd kind of grown up with it, and I had, uh, I'd, I'd watched it, but I've never sat down and watched it through the entirety. Uh, mostly just, um, you know, as, as a kid, you kind of see snippets here and there and stuff. And it was like, oh, it's too scary, too scary. And uh, when I sat down for the first time to watch it through its entirety to um, really appreciate the, the artistic value of it, um, it was after uh, after Kenny had approached me about uh, 
coming on as a director of this film. Oh, nice. Nice. Well, that's got it. I think like compared to other people who have come on this show, you're probably the most recent person who has only just seen the film recently. So I'm kind of very surprised about that. But I, I can understand completely because I know that like Night of the Living Dead is one of those films like you, you've seen bits and pieces of over the years, but it, it's one of those films that is so iconic. It feels like seeing the entirety of it even if you have it, it's like me and Psycho. When in that regard, yeah, yeah. So i uh, I had seen the uh, I'd seen the uh, the remake, the nineteen nineties version first. Mm. Uh, I had I'd actually I remembered watching. You know, it was a little closer to uh, uh, my era of you know childhood. Um, but then I, after this one, I went back uh, watched the the original film, the black and white um, original uh, Night of the Living Dead film. And uh, I actually had learned a, a new appreciation for the movie itself, uh, and then it, uh, it it was a it's it was a very startling revelation. And to see uh, what uh, Romero had done, uh, something like that, all the way back in the '60s, is something that had just never been done before. It was uh, it was very fascinating to me to sort of see what he had come up with. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And uh, Kenny, what about yourself? When was the first time you saw the film? Well, um, my father was very, uh, he was a very uh, <laughs> unconventional parent. And so he pretty much had no filters with me when I was growing up um, when it came to entertainment. And so, I mean, I was young. I was probably about five years old or so when I saw it for the first time. And I just remember thinking it was the scariest movie that I had like ever seen. Um, the idea, the concept of dead people coming back to life or a, a version of, of animation, right? Coming out of their graves and coming for you in the dark, just hordes of them still terrifies me actually as an adult like it really freaks me out uh to think about and uh, so i i was pretty young and i watched that original movie um i watched the 1990s version very shortly after i think um i really i i appreciated both of them i really did um that original definitely you know it, it's it's the uh it's definitely the classic that the grandfather of, uh, I guess, modern cinema. And, uh, you know, it just, it, it just stuck with me. It always stuck with me. Just the, the thought of what if this happened. Right. And it, it, it kind of gave me just, uh, not nightmares necessarily, but like, uh, when I would be a kid and I go out after dark, I'd always be kind of looking over my shoulder, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can understand that too, because when I was a kid, uh, I I think I watched Brad Stoker's Dracula as a kid. I used to be terrified of vampires, so I used to kind of be in a similar boat where I because vampires to me as a kid were the most terrifying <laughs> thing. So I can definitely understand uh, that feeling way too well. But I guess we could um, go straight to talking about you guys' film, A Night of the Undead. And I guess my first question is, where did the, the idea of doing this film come from because i think what's interesting about a night of the undead especially compared to other indie versions of night of the living Dead i've seen like for my podcast is most of them have kind of just been doing just reimaginings or remakes of the original film but your guys's film what i find interesting is that it's more of a sequel to the original film so where did the idea of wanting to do the film come from well, I guess I will start with that. Um, I know Jake loves to hear the origin story because he's only heard it 15 billion times. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we could get asked that recently. But uh, no, I actually uh, got the idea during COVID for obvious reasons, right? Mm. Because the entire world was shut down and everybody was afraid of going outside, right? <laughs> and like what was just on the other side of your front door. Right. And it really reminded me during the pandemic and during the uh, quarantine and the lockdown that really reminded me of Night of the Living Dead. And I'm like, 
you know, Night of the Living Dead is like a great allegory for COVID, you know, and I, I thought about that and how Romero would, you know, he had those um, social commentary in his films. And I was like, well, you know, I was like, Night of the Living Dead is public domain. And all these other horror movies that are getting made right now are not of that caliber. Not that I'm saying that ours is. Um, definitely not comparing that at all um, or taking away from any other filmmakers. Um, but I just wanted to make something that basically shined a light on what we were currently going through. And um, I thought, you know, remaking Night of the Living Dead would be the perfect way to do that. And um, I had, I'd known Jake for a little bit. I hadn't known him for too long. Um, when he and I, we talked about doing a project together and it really wasn't happening. Um, Cause you know, he was constantly busy and I was constantly busy. But when I got the idea to, um, to remake the movie, he was the only person I thought of because I was like, hey, this is the perfect project then for us to work together on. Like, maybe we can get to know each other a little better. Maybe we'll be friends by the end of it, right? And uh, so I took him the project, and I was like, I want to remake Night of the Living Dead. And, you know, just I want to update it for modern audiences, you know. And at the time, that summer, there wasn't just COVID going on. There was, you know, a lot going on just in the world. There was um, political division. There was racial division. There was a lot of just, I think, hurt, you know, and I think everybody could really relate to that, and again, that harkened back to Night of the Living Dead again, um, you know, and I, I approached Jake for it, and he was, he was down to do it, but he came up with the idea of doing, instead of a remake, why don't we do kind of a reboot, you know, it's a film that, it's a sequel, but it can stand on its own as a film as well. And so I give him a hundred percent full credit for that because had we just remade the movie, we would be stuck right there with like, you know, 10,000 other Night of the Living Dead remakes. Right. But Jake had the foresight to say, Hey, let's do something a little different with it. Let's do it, but let's, let's do it right. So. And uh, Jake, like is it's, Basically, the whole quasi sequel idea was yours. What what ca- what was the where did the sort of the idea of wanting to tackle the story of Night of the Living Dead in that way, rather doing it in a, in a traditional way? Um, well, so we had had a uh, quite a bit of um, I guess what you would call uh, revisions to the story. We had a lot of different scripts, uh, a lot of different ideas. We kind of played around with, you know, after Kenny had approached me, he was like, Hey, would you be interested in doing this film? And I was like, you know, I, I thought about it and I was like, you know, I've never directed a film of that caliber before, you know, and I'd done, uh, I'd done a couple films. Uh, that's how, you know, we kind of got to know each other and I had directed some stuff and, uh, uh, he had seen, you know, some of the work that I'd done. And, you know, we, we actually, he and I, we, we had never met prior to, uh, you know, just months before this, uh, but we live in the same town. So that's what was, that's what was crazy. Yeah. And um, so, well, after we had gone through uh, all those revisions in the, uh, in the storyline, it just wasn't clicking, you know, it was, um, you see a lot of uh, films of this same thing where it's just a uh, it's a reboot because it's a public domain film so you know you're going to have people that sort of come along and they just want to put their own spin on it which uh, don't get me wrong i think that's great if you know there you have filmmakers doing that i just didn't want us to be i didn't want to be grouped in that category i was like okay we've seen the same thing thousands of times it's been done over and over and over and um <clears throat> excuse me um you know i i think there comes a point to where you can overdo something, you know, it's uh, that old saying, it's like beating a dead horse, you know, you just keep going over and over and over. And uh, I had, uh, I'd kind of asked Kenny, I said, you know, uh, why don't we, uh, why don't we try something? And I don't know why I thought of this. It just, just sparked on me. So to answer your question, it it was just kind of, it was just a spur of the moment. Um, But what had happened is, um, 
I got the idea sort of like what we had seen with uh, the 2018 version of Halloween, um, where it was a uh, it was a sequel, but it was also like a reboot of the original. And mm-hmm. when we had actually done that, we were currently all uh, running the film still going to be under the title A Night of the Living Dead. Um, so we were we were retaining that title uh, to use uh, use the for the film. And um, as time went on, we kind of developed it. We come up with a new, fresh story. And I told Kenny, I said, you know, we need to throw a lot of little Easter eggs to the original in there. Um, and I don't know, uh, you, you've seen the film. So you, I'm sure you and anybody who's watched it, you will catch a little subtle, uh, little subtle hints to the original film, the 68 version. Um, throughout the movie, you'll, you'll see certain characters or certain things that are left over from the original film uh so if you watch the original you're going to be like oh hey i i I remember that i know that so it was uh um that was that was just a clever little perk we'd kind of come up with and um the rest well you know as they say the rest is kind of history so (laughs) (laughs) well i think what's um again interesting about you guys's take on this story is like you were saying before Kenny like the film kind of deals with so many different themes and topics with what was going on during the time of COVID the political racial division but I also like the fact that the film kind of delves into conspiracy theories because with the events at the time of the story has taken place was was which was 54 years after the event in 68 I like that in that the film kind of people are unsure about whether the actual event actually happened or not, since it happened so quickly and was put under wraps by the government, that it was interesting to me to see like how us as a society have interpreted that event. Did it happen? Didn't it happen? And I guess some people would see that as far-fetched, but then again, I remember there was like this trend on TikTok a few, a few years ago where people didn't think that uh, Helen Keller actually existed. So... When it came to tackling the themes for this film, did you guys have a specific idea of what themes you wanted to tackle or did it just sort of of come out organically during the development process of the film? I think a little bit of both. Like we, we said that we wanted, you know, to tackle certain things. Like we did want, we did want to focus on the original incident being looked at as a, conspiracy theory by a certain fraction of society believing that a certain fraction of society um, believing that it was real because that's the way it is with everything now right because anytime something happens like you know half the people say it's real half people say it's, it's a conspiracy right and so um, we definitely did want to tackle that but then as we got into actually um, the production and whatnot um, you know some other ideas came to us because you know when when you're making a movie it's like it it becomes its own thing it takes on a life of its own and sometimes it will tell you where it needs to go as opposed to you know where like what you had planned what you had on paper you know it may be like wait a minute the the movie's telling me this needs you know something else needs to happen once you get in you start watching like the actual footage that you shot and you start seeing your performances from your cast and you know, you start seeing it actually coming together as this um, cohesive piece. Um, you know, it takes on a life of its own. And it's one thing to have the idea written out, but it's another when you actually see it, you know, taking breath, you know, right in front of you. And so I, I would say it's a little bit of both. What do you think, Jake? Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, you know, as things kind of came along, you were talking about conspiracy theories. Um, the end of the film um it's got like its own twist to it um you know and originally that actually was not in the original script that we had come up with um that had kind of developed later on um we had uh in the original story um when brady was you know sitting there and you know the police officer comes to him and uh, sort of discovers him there uh, in the original story, Brady was going to go for the gun and the police officer went for his gun and we were going to see like sort of a uh, an homage to the original film, you know, where Ben is 
you know, he he was uh, he was killed by the authorities thinking he was a zombie. So, oh, definitely. I think that's one of the interesting things about this film is that it it kind of has a bit of a lot of amb- ambiguity to it when it comes to the zombie aspect of the story. And since I've and I will have to go into uh, spoilers here, <laughs> kind of discuss it because there's so many things I'd like to talk about. In terms of like whether everything is actually happening throughout most of the film is actually happening or not, because I think that's kind of one of the that's one of the interesting things that I found while watching the film. Thank you, I appreciate that. Uh, I really do. That, like Jake said, that wasn't you know the original ending, um, but that definitely came like as we were shooting. It was like this makes sense this this felt right you know that that felt like the right ending and you know the way i look at the film which i know you've already went into spoilers on the episode that you did about the film Mm. so you know any listeners they already know about the film they already know how it ends and you know like so i the way i look at the film brady he he gets he he doesn't believe it happened right he is Mm. just like completely cynical about the whole thing supposedly but then when everything starts happening it turns out by the end of the film that he really did believe a lot more than he led on right and you know you start questioning what's happening really and what's in brady's head but the way i really looked at the film is after he gets attacked by piper or did he right or what did Mm. he get attacked by her was she just sick what happened he goes down to the basement right and he sits there with a gun, and then it fades to black. And then at the end of the film, the police officer finds him down there in the same spot with the gun. It's like he blacked out, and then he killed his friends, right? And so, yeah, um, somehow or another, something happened, right? He, I mean, he, he killed them. Um, you know, did it happen exactly as it happens in the film? I don't know, because there's, you know, at the end, there's some skepticism about that, right? And uh, the doctor tells them, you know, it, you know, they were just sick. They weren't zombies, right? Um, but then the very last shot, Brady turns around and his eyes infected, right? And so it's like, wait a minute, did it happen? Did it not happen? Like, and so I love it, you know? And it, I, I remember one reviewer said the ending is definitely going to, um, the ending is definitely going to make a lot of people angry. And I was like, well, that's good because they're still talking about it and they are. And I love that. So <laughs> uh, when it came to the, like the, I guess the feel, the tone of the film, did you guys go use outside of Night of the Living Dead, of course, uh, any specific horror films that as inspirations for the approach to the story? Cause even, I don't know, like what I, what I, when I was watching the film, one film that kept popping into my mind while I was watching it was uh, Book of Shadows, The Blair Witch 2, because it, it kind of has a similar feel to it. So I guess... And uh, I'm, Jay- glad. I'm glad because that actually was a direct inspiration for the introduction of the film. Um, I was doing a rewatch of Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2, which I know is universally hated by everybody except me and like two other people, but like... So I was doing a rewatch of that movie and I just really loved how they incorporated like that news footage and together, you know, with people discussing that first movie. Right. And I was like, well, that's a great way to like catch people up if they haven't seen that original movie, but then also Mm. too, we can kind of bring them up to like where we are today. Right. And, and basically just set the scene as it were just through these uh, clips, these montages and, we were very fortunate enough to get my friend Daniel Sexton. Uh, he's an Emmy winner. He hosts the Miss Carolina, Miss South Carolina. I think it's Miss South Carolina, Miss South Carolina pageant. He typically hosts that uh, every year. Um, we got. He was originally supposed to do a video, and he couldn't do the video, so he did audio, and we did it like it was from a radio show that he was doing. But um, you know, he he uh, graciously did that, um, playing himself in a uh, radio broadcast of uh, discussing the conspiracy theories and the original incident and whatnot. But yeah, Book of Shadows and I think the original Blair Witch Project definitely inspired uh, the film. What say you, Jake? Um, so 
I was going to say, you know, Night of the Living Dead inspired the film. <laughs> just, <laughs> I mean, uh, he no, said besides that one. He said no, besides no, that we, one. I, I, yeah, um, 100%. Um, you know, there were a lot of other films that had sort of helped to uh, incorporate these ideas. Um, and just an overall love of uh, film itself, the genre that we really played into. Um, I... We actually, who was it the other night? We we done another interview just the other night, and they said they felt cabin feverish vibes um, from the. I can definitely say that. Yeah, and yeah. and I, yeah. you know, we I had seen that film, and you know that had kind of give me, um, I guess, inspiration to to an extent, but we also, you know, we we kind of just uh, we we really just I feel we went our own way with it, you know. There's no direct film that i feel in any way is like this one you know i mean it's got a uh, this one just has a lot of things to it that you know it's uh just stuff like that has not been tackled um with something like night of the living dead um and i think what was very interesting about this was um a good friend of mine, David Daring, who plays the the crazy old farmer guy (laughs) you know who i loved in the movie by the way i thought he was great yeah, yeah, he was a uh, he he was very interesting in his character. Although he's only in the film for a very limited time, he's almost he's almost the key to tying it all together. And when it came to, because I know you both kind of directed the film together with you, Jake, being the main director and Kenny, you being the co-director. So how did how does that how did that work being co-directors on a film? Did you guys? like this work together on specific scenes or did you go off separately and did shot different things for the film? So how did, what was the process of like co-directing a film together? Uh, Jake, you first. Uh, so we've actually directed quite a few films together and mostly what we've done, I, I feel that uh, this one was probably one of my favorites to direct with, uh, with Kenny myself um, because I felt he i felt that going into that he learned a lot um this was his first directorial he had done um this was probably like my fifth or sixth but it it was good because uh i've been previously in front of the camera quite a bit so it was nice to take a little refresher step back and focus on directing and you know uh, having someone who shared that same passion for directing the film and you know getting those shots the way we needed it um i i thought it was i thought it was really great so for the whole film we uh we didn't actually separate at all we actually you know we were both there together just kind of coinciding the entire film um uh throughout the whole thing he and i you know we'd pull out a book or go over and discuss you know why the actors were running their lines and we would block shots i would say what do you think about this let's set this shot up and you know, he um, I want to say he followed my lead, but mostly he uh, he brought he helped bring it to life just as much as I did. Um, so uh, it was it was really fun being able to uh, to work with someone who just kind of shared the same vision. And uh, uh, we overall, when we had first started, we actually the first scene we had ever shot was uh, the scene with Karen Cooper in the basement. Um, so we shot that first. And we had actually we slowed down and we had a, a recess and we ended up re uh, uh, coming back and revisiting the film. Um, we had this postponed shooting up until the spring because it was so cold at that time. It was it was bad. So we it was almost I would say a good it was a good six month gap between that first shot, the initial shot. And then uh, when we started the rest of it, we wrapped up filming probably in about three months from there it just flew by and um it, it was uh it was it was very different the first day um kenny you remember that he he was actually he was recovering from uh from shingles so the first day on set he actually he couldn't make it because his eye was like all swollen shut it was it was it was rough so thought it was bad it was ocular shingles i didn't even know you could get that in your eye but if you look at some of the on-set photos like you know, like you said, I didn't make it the first day, but I was there all the other days, right? But if you look at some of those onset photos, I've got an eye patch on in some of them, you know, and that was the thing, like, like he said, I did from, you know, Jake, Jake and I make a good team. 
you know, like, like, like he said, we don't really separate anything. We go over everything together. And I think that is really beneficial. I think that really, um, I think you, that comes across in the finished product that, you know, it's basically two minds working together to create one thing. And, um, you know, as he said, though, where I was recovering from shingles, like I was not on my A game when uh, we were shooting that movie. Like I was, I was there, yes. And I was helping him and, you know, I was learning things, yes, from him. But that was really more what I was doing was learning things. I was more like a sponge just because I was almost just like useless because I was just like <laughs> walking around and doing things, you know, like that was basically it. I couldn't really do a lot of the heavy lifting, um, you know, so to speak. Uh, but it really worked out because I did learn a lot uh, from working on that project together. And uh, like on our most recent film, I was more hands on, I think, with a lot of things. And so, you know, I mean, it, it, it was it was good. It was a great experience, um, not just, you know, a learning experience, but it was a great experience overall. And it's always a good experience for me when I get to work with him because we, you know, we have these ideas and, you know, if we're on the same page about something, um, you know, then that's awesome because we typically are. A lot of times, you know, we're kind of like the same person, but, uh, you know, if we're on a different page, somehow we'll, we'll come together and, you know, we'll, we'll blend the ideas together in a way that is cohesive and makes sense. And uh, yeah, I think we make a really good team. And that's why I pretty much have, you know, stepped back from working on any other projects except uh, the ones that we do together. Um, just because it's, it gives me that, um, that, uh, that passion for filmmaking, right? Like, I, I wasn't getting it anywhere else, but I, I get it when the two, when the two of us are working together, it's there and I feel it. And, you know, like we make some, you know, I don't want to say fantastic movies because I, I, I don't want to brag up my own work, but you know, like the onset atmosphere is fantastic. And, um, you know, I, can, I couldn't ask for a better partner. I really could not. And when it came to, how about when it came to casting the actors for the film? Because I think a lot of the actors, the characters in this film are all very interesting and I think the actors play their parts quite well. So when, how was the casting process for the film? Well, so the me? casting... Jake, Jake, no, well, well, yeah, well, so I was going to say, <laughs> the, the casting process, we had actually had another actor uh, cast in the lead as Brady, um, but just before we started filming, um, the actor... Um, something happened and he had to drop the project so um denny kid the actor who plays uh who plays brady um he had actually recently he had went and seen a uh, another film that i had done and uh kenny had worked as a producer on it um and he seen the other film i had done and he went and watched it in theaters and he uh he's a musician and he reached out to us through some various contacts and uh, he's like hey man he's like you know, I'd love to work with you. And I, you know, I, I seen him and I, I asked uh, Kenny, I said, what do you think? And he's like, I, I don't know, man. And so we sent him a little snippet and just had him kind of audition for it and see, you know, what he thought. And uh, I thought he'd done a very good job. He, he was a different character than what we'd originally imagined Brady, but he, he was that character. As he began playing that character, I feel like he truly became that character and him and Brady were one and the same. Um, so I, I felt like that was a very good casting choice. Um, but you know, we sent him a, a snippet and he, he read the sides and sent it back and, uh, we said, congratulations, you got the part. And he said, okay, cool. Uh, what's the part? <laughs> Cause when he, he had, he had no <laughs> idea that the, the film he was auditioning for. And we told him, he said, it's night of the living dead. And I mean, he hit the fan. I mean, he was, I mean, the I guy loved like, it. you're serious. This is not a living dead. Really? like really i'm like yeah yeah it is i had sour grapes though i will say because i was so upset about the other actor dropping out and jake's like he's good right then he's good right and i'm like he's fine he's good he's okay like i was just so upset about the other actor because that's what i had envisioned right but i am so thankful that that happened because that other actor having seen his work that other actor next to denny's work he, you know, he couldn't even hold a candle to it. it, it you know, th that other person was completely wrong for that role. 
um, Denny brought the character of Brady to life in a way that that other actor, I don't think that other actor has the range to do that. Yeah, I guess that's one of the... Yes. (laughs) But um, I guess with... um, Because like you said, like with an actor, one of of the actors dropping out before filming, were there any other... Like, because with a having worked on little productions myself over the years, did you guys find that any certain struggles when it came to making this film being that this was for you guys an independent production? Um, I mean, there's always the technical challenges. Uh, the, the one that I always jokingly uh, reference back to, and, um, I, and it actually this kind of goes back to the casting as well, is um, played by Mason Johnson. Um, Mason, I've watched him grow up, I swear, from like an 18-year-old kid. Now he's like a dad. He's like, you know, I mean, and he, I call him James Dean. I just think he's he's just an incredible actor. I really do. Uh, but, it, you know, he, he was pretty much the first person that I had said, hey, I want you to be in a movie. And he was all down for it. And he, when he commits to something, he, he does it. Um, but that was the one thing like you you know you mentioned challenges i'm like over here thinking okay i'm thinking how and this is i do this with every film you know jake will send me a script you know or a few pages of a script and as i'm reading it i'm thinking okay so how are we going to shoot this and i'm thinking okay we can shoot this this way we can shoot this this way so i'm reading this script and he throws the decapitation in there and i'm like what are you doing jake like, we can't do this. Like, there's no way we can pull that off in this movie. Um, and I uh, I was very doubtful that we could actually pull that off and make it look realistic, make it look believable, make it look good. And uh, I will say I've, I've never doubted him since then. I remember that day. It was, yeah, <laughs> I, I told him I do not doubt you again. And what about you, Jake? Were there any kind of... Any kind of filmmaking struggles that happen to you during the course of the film? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you always have that's, uh, some things that are always going to come up during uh, during filming. Uh, this one, I think the biggest struggle for us was um, the location where we were shooting at. Um, we wanted this to be as authentic as possible. Um, so what we had actually done, rather than uh, – we've done this before, um, you know, for you uh, – you shoot the uh, you shoot the exterior and then you go back to uh, you know if you have your studio or wherever you're shooting and you shoot the interior shots there. Uh, we didn't want to do that because when we saw this place, um, our location manager had taken us to it back when it was uh, still cold outside. Um, it was very cold. I remember going to look at it and we seen the place and he said, "Here's the place." And I said, "Well, I want to see the inside of it." And he's like, "The inside?" And we we're like, "Yeah, you know, let's let's look at it." So we walk into this actual house and the whole back room, I mean, there's no floor in it. There's holes in the wall. There's black mold growing everywhere. And I turned to Kenny Scott and I said, it's perfect. And that's what we done. We used that same place that you see as the farmhouse for interior and exterior shots. The only place uh, that we did not use that for, um, in that specific those scenes was you know the basement obviously it was a it was in a separate uh, studio location um, but we used that entire place for that and it was it was rough because i mean there was no electricity um so we're all running off phantom power and uh, boom boxes and all, all the stuff for our equipment and you know the actors are hot and everything so uh, that was a little bit of a struggle and uh, you know we would have issues you know with uh, you know actors stumbling over lines and it would be hot and you know it was just it was mind cloud but for the most part you know i i feel like it, it truly did add a lot of depth um to to the scenery and to the actors performances as well oh definitely i think it was yeah well i think it was important because having and i like the idea that basically the fob house like the one from night of the living dead has been basically become like almost like this folklore within uh with these characters like this event happened there and they go to visit it and i really like how you kind of you guys weaved certain specific things from the original film into this one and we were talking about 
Easter eggs before. How, like, since you guys were making, you know, a sequel to the film, which aspects of, from the original film that you wanted, wanted to put in as Easter eggs? Like ones that would be familiar for fans, but at the same time for people who aren't familiar with Night of the Living Dead. Uh, like would be something that's, you know, not too, I guess, too fanboyish, if that makes any sense. But um, it's a, but what I'm, what I'm trying to say is um, basically what aspects from the original film in terms of Easter eggs, uh, like which did you guys decide to put in the film? And so that way the two films connect. Well, what I, I personally think um, the, uh, I, I think, the gun uh, that mm. Ben had, um, we we see that, and it, it becomes a very crucial part to our story. Um, now we have on there uh, Ben's name etched into that, um, and originally we were going to have some uh, some flashback scenes added in there with Ben actually, you know, uh, portraying some stuff. But um, ultimately, I feel what we came out with was very good. So we have uh, like the flashbacks of Karen Cooper and her diary, um, and those scenes are very intricate because uh, they, they play just enough flashback to the original film uh, that you know who it is, but you can also get the idea of the story that's going on um, that is brought up to current. Um, and another thing that I, uh, I enjoyed, I mean, when they go in the basement, they find a lot of stuff. There's a tire iron. Uh, there's just a lot of small things uh, that are kind of intricate intricately uh connected and i think uh i think they really pay an homage to the original story um but you know like i said we've done our very best to make this a standalone thing uh hence to the title we actually we were at a uh, convention where we made the announcement for the title change um, scott and i we had talked we went back and forth and we had uh we decided since this became so standalone that we did not want to lump it into a uh i guess what you would say a niche or a group where there are so many titles the night of the living dead uh, whether they're indie whether they're you know big budget we wanted to set it apart but yet also have something that was similar enough you would know exactly what it was when you turned it on and i i think that was a that was that was a game changer i think that was uh something really well that we done and i think overall um even with the easter eggs uh, things just they they had their own way of working out organically to to make it work and what about you Kenny? they definitely did and hmm. well I, I was gonna say like there's even unintentional easter eggs in there and one of my favorites is and i can send it to you and maybe you can post it on the social medias for the for the uh show maybe <laughs> there is a shot in the film when they pull up in adam's jeep and they're waiting on judy to come out of the house um and Judy comes out the front door, but um, they're sitting there. And Adam, of course, is in the driver's seat, and Piper is in the passenger seat. And the shot is almost a recreation of the shot from the original film with Johnny and Barbara um, in the car. And it just kind of blew me away that it was like, wait a minute, we didn't do that on purpose. You know, it was like they, they look so similar, though. Like the shots are almost identical. And I, I actually took a shot that shot from the original film and put it with the shot from our film, uh, like on a side by side. And I, I had a lot of fun with that because it was, like I said, it was not intentional at all, but it was, it was just great to see like that, you know, just those little things that still happened, you know, um, in its own way, you know, like the film itself, you know, paying homage in a way to that original film. And, um, but like Jake said, as far as like the other Easter eggs, you know, we've got um, the character of Judy, obviously, is named after Judith O'Day. Um, you know, we've got the gun, the tire iron, uh, Karen Cooper's diary. You know, we didn't know she had a diary in the first movie, right? But we don't really see Karen Cooper, like, before she gets very sick in the first movie. So we don't really know what her personality was, right? Mm. Um, so you know, from my logic, you know, she had a diary and she wrote about the accident that her parents went through um, before she slipped into that state of unconsciousness. And uh, I want to say didn't wake up, but she did. <laughs> and so, you know, but it, uh, it, it was just, it was great, you know, to have all just 
any of those little Easter eggs that you can think of that we did put in there. I know we're like missing some right now because we're trying to think of some, but you know, it was, uh, oh, oh, one of my favorites. Yes, I was trying to think. They're coming to get you, Piper. That was, that was great. I really liked that. And his delivery of that line, I thought was perfect. Well, let's not forget, uh, David Derrick also says they're coming to get you, Brady, later on in the film as well. And I like the use of, like, both those characters using that specific line from the original and kind of putting them both into different contexts within their scenes. He says to, I, I love the line, um, and Jake wrote it, I think, in the script, and I really loved it. Um, he, he calls him Brady, and he says, I didn't tell you my name. And he says, no, Ben told me. And, <laughs> like, it just, I don't know, it just gives me chills every time. I, I love it. I, I, I love that movie. I really do. I'm so proud of the job that everybody did on that movie. And also, I got to ask this because maybe it's just my, I I notice these little things whenever I watch a film, but towards the end of the film, the use of the song Moonlight Sonata, was that a reference to Resident Evil? Um, No, that that was actually, (laughs) (laughs) that actually was just sort of by happenstance with the Moonlight Sonata. um, It was just sort of like a it was honestly a happenstance because it was it was just playing uh, intricately uh, referring to the moon and everything, uh, you know, night of the un- uh, night of the undead, night of the living dead. Um, so I, I when we incorporated it, it, it was it was almost not thought of. But I guess I could see that after you've said that, you know, I never thought about that until now. Um, the song that plays at the end, it's called "They're Coming to Get You." Um, that is actually it was written and performed by Denny Kidd. I, I told you he's a He's an artist, uh, and that was actually written and performed by him. Nice, nice. But, I want to um, say to the doctor at the end of the film, did you recognize him? Did anybody recognize him? Uh, well, it has been a little bit since I've seen the film, but I, well, I, 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 I imagine I you're going to be, you're going to, my mind is about to be blown any second now. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, I don't think anybody would recognize him after. Um, but yeah, tell him, tell him. <laughs> he he, uh, he was the zombie, the main zombie. Oh. And oh. he came back. We thought it'd be a nice little nod to, was it all in Brady's head? Did it really happen? You know, we thought it'd be a nice little, you know, um, uh, not, uh, I, I guess, a, a, a wink, a nod, what have you. We thought it'd be a nice reference to that, you know, to have, you know, the zombie. You know, he's he's actually a doctor there, you know, it's the same actor, you know, just playing both roles. But um, but yeah, yeah, that was that was the nice, uh, I guess, an Easter egg of our own that we put in there from our own film. I, I think uh, it, my mind is pretty blown, although I think it would be even more hilarious if the doctor was still a zombie. And then these guys make like a spinoff movie called Dr. Zombie to say. <laughs> Hey, we we've had discussions about where where the story could go, and let me just tell you, it it I think there's there's you know I don't know that we would ever do a sequel, but if we did, I mean I, we we do know what we would do with it, kind of, and you know I, I really think that that's pretty much where it would start would be that hospital again. Mm. Yeah, because especially because yeah, the way it ends, it's pretty like I'm sort of thinking like I kind of want to know where this goes, like whether this actually is the start of a proper zombie outbreak or is it all still in Brady's mind? Like that's definitely one of the uh, the notes that the film ends on that makes it very interesting to see. Like, I guess like beyond where, like where the story goes after the credits roll. Uh, yeah. So uh, we actually, as far as uh, the zombies, uh, I, I told, you know, Kenny, that was one thing that we wanted to do or that I wanted to do as far as I, I told him, I said, if, if we do, do this right, I said, we do not need to have hordes and hordes of zombies coming out where there's just repetitive zombie killing because I feel that is something that's happened in most films. Mm. And I feel that it has uh, it's lessened the authenticity of the story because it almost gets boring. I mean, you just have killing zombies over and over and over and you don't have any character development. And by the time that all of our characters die in our film, um, I feel that the audience has a very deep connection with them. 
you're almost sad mm. to see them go. You know, um, whether you're waiting for it or whether you're uh, you just see it happen, you almost feel that connection because you've you've been with them since the very beginning of the story, and it's not just been a repetitive killing of zombies. Oh, definitely, and I think it's also. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Kenny. No, no, no. no. I, I was just gonna say I love too that we Piper's the obvious final girl. Like she was gonna be the one that lives, right? You know she is from the, like the very beginning, and she's the first one to die. I love that we do that. Anyway, yeah. Go ahead. I well, I was gonna that. say like I, I, one of the like a thing I really liked the most about the film is again where there's very little zombies in the film, and I think with the main zombie that we see and also all the other characters who start to become them after that. And also, but I really like the fact that, that again, like at first we think they are zombies, but we once we know where the story goes by the end of it, it makes it look back on the film. It's like, were any of these characters actually zombies to begin with? And again, that's one of the interesting things I found compelling about the film. It is thought provoking, yeah. isn't it? That's what some mm. had said. I, yeah. Oh, for sure. And um, I guess that could be a wrap on our conversation of uh, A Night of the Undead. And uh, thank you both, Jake and Kenny, for taking the time to sitting down and talking about the film with me on the show. Thank you for having us on. It was an honor to be uh, part of this, for sure. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, we, we love talking about our work and we love uh, we love talking to uh, people who share a... Uh, uh, a passion for the original film because after this it really i think it uh it gave us a new appreciation for romero's vision and uh the fact that we're able to make our version of this film sort of live on for a new audience um you know like i said it's a it's a very uh humbling thing uh for me anyways um but yeah man 100 percent. thank you for having us on uh, really glad really had a good time you're welcome. And I guess before we kind of wrap up our interview, I do have one final question. And of course, you guys have a brand new film that is being released at the moment called The Dark Room, which also features uh, Diane Franklin from films like The Last American Virgin. Uh, would you guys like to talk to us about that one before we finish up today? I mean, I, I uh, yeah, hadn't expected that, but yeah, absolutely. Um, I was waiting on Jake to take over there. Do you want to? I kind of figured I throw that in since you guys, because I follow you, Kenny, on social media. I know you guys are promoting the film at the moment, so I figured, you know what, I need to ask you guys about your new film as well as the last question I'm being for so the show. Just with it too on social media. I'm, <laughs> I'm being, I am being that person. That, I am being the person I would block on social media right now trying to promote this movie like i'm promoting it on facebook on instagram on tiktok i'm like I'm just everywhere but um yeah the dark room it's uh i would say that of everything that i've done i would say i'm the proudest of the dark room not to take away from night of the undead but uh i think that what we have with the dark room is definitely something really special um and yes it does feature diane franklin and uh she shares her scenes all of her scenes actually with uh jake here nice. yeah um it, i uh i, I actually I, I had the privilege of playing the lead in this like i said it was a. Uh, um i was kind of coming back into the uh acting phase because i've been off camera since we'd done um night of the undead which was a nice break um but uh with diane she was she was wonderful to work with um you know i was a huge fan i loved her in uh, last american virgin uh, amityville too um she she was she was wonderful she was a uh, she was a real sweetheart um she uh she's a fantastic actress um honestly we were shooting the film and she almost i, I was just ready to let her direct the whole thing i mean she was she was great i i really um really appreciated getting to work with her uh this film uh the film itself it's 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 a psychological thriller about a photographer in a small town um and whenever there's a string of murders that keep happening his uh his sanity is called into question by his doctor um so i would encourage everyone to check it out it was um I, the film itself is being released by the uh same company that brought the film skinamarink uh to Ooh. to yeah, they they brought that. So you'll see a, you'll see a couple nods to that type of film um, 
in fact, the the film The Dark Room is actually the the camera work is made to look like it's all shot on like a uh, uh, fifty millimeter camera, um, s- similar to the way that uh, Skinner Inc was uh, was laid out. Nice. Well, I look forward to checking the film out once it you know comes out to my neck of the woods. Um, <laughs> but um, before I let you guys go. Where can people find you guys on the internet this week? And also, where can people check out your film, uh, A Night of the Undead? Um, so me, if you want to find me on the on the internet, my Instagram handle is uh, jakecyoung underscore official. Um, from there, it's got all my links, everything I do. Uh, but that's, that's where uh, you guys can find me, follow me. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. Um, as far as uh, the film, uh, you can find it on – you can find our film on – Voodoo, uh, Tubi, Plex. Um, it's available at Walmart, Amazon. Um, I, I think there's maybe a couple more I could be missing out. Um, Kenny, do you know of any others? Um, did you say Plex? I think I did. <laughs> okay, I couldn't remember if you said Plex. But yeah, um, yeah, I think I think you pretty much covered it then. Um, but yeah, it's uh, available on those streaming platforms, um, free with ads on Tubi for sure. Um, and I think free with ads on Plex as well. Same with Voodoo. Um, Amazon Prime, I think you still have to rent it or buy it. But uh, yeah. And as far as for me on social media, I always say, just you know, you can look me up, Kenny Scott Guffey. I swear I'm the only one um, that you're going to find. <laughs> but, uh, you know, definitely, you know, reach out if you want. I always love connecting with fans. I, I uh, like having a good conversation uh, with somebody who, you know, is passionate about the same things, uh, you know, film and whatnot. And so, yeah, for sure. Definitely check out the film and uh, hopefully you guys will love the dark room too. Awesome. Well, well, thank you guys once again for coming on the show and talking about a night of the undead for me. It has been a pleasure and you guys are more than welcome to come back to the show anytime. Well, thanks, thanks for having us. It was fun. Well, there you go, everyone. That was my interview with Jake C. Young and Kenny Scott Guffey, the directors behind the 2022 film, A Night of the Undead. Once again, thank you so much, Jake and Kenny, for coming on the show, telling us about the process of making your film. I had a really good time discussing the film with you guys, and I'm glad you enjoyed yourselves as well. So once again, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about the film with me. And thank you so much for everyone tuning into this episode. I hope you had a really good time listening to this interview. And keep a lookout over the next couple of weeks for some more episodes of the podcast. On October 13th, which happens to be Friday the 13th, I'll be releasing the debut episode of the spinoff podcast, Bead and Steve versus Camp Crystal Lake, in which my co-host Stephen T. Bolt and I dissect the entire Friday the 13th franchise and as well as its fan films, its comic books, its unproduced screenplays, TV shows, so much more. So I look forward to you guys to listening to that debut episode, which will drop on the Bead vs. the Living Dead podcast feed everywhere. So you'll be able to listen to that very easily. And then, of course, on October 15th will be the official episode 23 of the podcast, in which I will be reviewing the 1988 sequel return of the living dead part two and then finally after that will be the next two bonus episodes of the podcast the third one will be dropping on october 18th in which i will be interviewing connor noble the writer director and co-star of the 2022 indie remake of night of the living dead and then finally on october 22nd i will drop the fourth bonus episode in which I'll be interviewing Roger Connors, the writer, director, and star of the 2021 indie remake of Night of the Living Dead, which happens to go by the title of Rebirth. So stay tuned for all those episodes over the next couple of weeks, everyone. There's a lot of great stuff coming up, so definitely check those out once they drop. To wrap up the episode, where you can find me on the internet this week, you can find me at 
at my personal Twitter page at twitter.com slash You can also find me on Blue Sky at bjamine if you are already a member on there. You can also find me at letterboxd at letterboxd.com slash And also you can follow the official Twitter account for this show at its official account at twitter.com slash beadvstld. You can also follow Bead vs. the Living Dead on Blue Sky as well. You can also follow the official Facebook page for the podcast at facebook.com slash Bead vs. the Living Dead. And once again, thank you so much for listening to this episode, and I'll see you guys next time. See you, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Bead vs. the Living Dead. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your podcast player of choice. Keep up on all updates of the show on the official Twitter account at BeadVSTLD. The music for this show was brought to you by Denno. See you next time, everyone. Goodbye.